0: Dan said a great prayer, but I need to pray too. So if you'll pray with me one more time, I can't promise it'll be a quick prayer, guys, but it'll be a prayer. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, we continue in worship, and I'm so thankful, Lord, for your word. I thank you that it's just as true today as it was yesterday and forever, that uh, your word has never failed, it's never changed, and it's a firm foundation, a place to stand, and Something to trust, and I know, Lord, when the world is shaken and all before us seems in chaos, it is of great comfort and assurance to know that your word is true. I pray this morning that you'll be with me as I speak, that you will uh, use your Holy Spirit to bring alive um, your truth and work it in me and work it in us, Lord. Uh, massage it in, uh, change us, and uh, bring it to light. And bring yourself glory lord we ask this uh, for your gospel for your glory for your people and for our good in jesus name we pray all god's people said amen all right you ready i'm gonna give you 110 (laughs) percent all right here we go Well, you know what, I'm sure there's some science or math types in here, and so they were just looking at me going, no, pastor, you didn't. You didn't just say 110%. Come on, don't you know where you live? This is Midland, Michigan. Everybody here knows there's no such thing as 110%. Well, today I'm going to teach you a little bit different about that, but we'll come back to that in just a minute, but here's... Here's what I mean. I think you know the intent and that's why you were playing along with it and being kind to me at first because it's somewhat like when that coach goes into the locker room at halftime and the team's down and they're struggling and he looks them in the eyes and says, come on, folks, I need 110%. Leave it all on the floor. Nothing left. Come on. And all the team goes, yeah, they run out of there and they're ready to win the game. Here's the amazing comeback we all dream of. Maybe. But the idea is, most of the time, we think we've given everything, there's still just a little bit more left. We think we've given it all, but what we don't realize is we have just a little bit more. Today, we're going to be looking at the subject of stewardship and subsequently or consequently giving. And you probably think with that sort of lead in, oh boy, he's really going for it today. <laughs> He's going to ask for everything we've gotten, just a little bit more. My intent from this sermon is to be as biblical as possible. And so we're going to read a big section of scripture. And I want to show you the mission and vision of our church. And the idea is not that you think I'm just out here trying to, you know, get into your pocketbooks or pull out the wallets or whatever. But the genuine intent is to help all of us together move closer to Jesus um, our vision at Midland Free is this. We aspire to be a gospel-centered family where everyone we encounter moves closer to Jesus every single day. In every single day, in every single way, even in our finances, we want to move closer to Christ. Now, our mission, how we carry out that big picture vision, the implementation steps is this we enjoy and glorify god we embrace his word and we engage the world and when we talk about enjoy we mean treasure we mean value we mean that jesus christ himself is our highest good the thing we value more than anything else is this single person Jesus we enjoy him we treasure him we value him and as he himself says where your treasure is there your heart will be also and we don't want to have those things conflict or be contradictory and we want to make sure that we truly treasure and enjoy him and therefore our wallets reflect that and so today we're going to look at scripture and see what it says and there's probably some things if you've been in church for a while that you've been taught that I'm going to tip on its head. I kind of enjoy doing that actually. There may be a couple emails and I'll explain or answer those later. But here's the thing. We want to be biblical. We want to be accurate. We want to be true. And that's what we're going to try to be this morning. We are going to embrace God's word in the next moment from 1 Timothy chapter 6. And I want to do that in three macro ways. Understand that this is the macro. This is not the Micro. This passage that I'm showing you is context. It's huge. It's the end of a letter. So there's no way I can parse every single word. And every single verb in this thing today. It just can't happen in the next 30 minutes. But what I can do is give you these three big hooks. The three big hooks I want to give you are. The love of money. Contentment. And a theology of giving. Today in the next few minutes I want to give you. Three big hooks to hang your hat on, to process as we learn about growing closer to Jesus, particularly in our financial lives, and that is the love of money, contentment and a theology of giving. So let me read to you, First Timothy chapter six. You'll see the words up on the screen. It's awesome if you've got a Bible with you because at times we'll be landing in one spot and staying there for a bit. But this is for folks who are watching at home or traveling or you don't have a Bible. This is for you. It's up on the screen too. Um, if you have one, please bring one. It'll help you. But here it is, 1 Timothy chapter six. Oh, and let me also say, obviously this is the end of the letter. This is the end of the book. There's more at the start, but there's more on that in the life group question. So you wanna know who Timothy is, who Paul is. What's the situation going on here at Ephesus? Download the life group questions. Even if you're not in a life group, you can have them. They're free, PDF. Hang on to it. It'll inform your understanding of this text. But for now, we're just jumping straight to the end. First Timothy, chapter six. Paul's protege, protege, Timothy, Paul's writing to him and he says this. Verse one, let all who are under a yoke that's an encouraging statement, by the way. I don't know about you, but does anybody here ever feel like they're under a yoke? Got a burden to carry, a job to do, a life to live, work ahead of you, something hard. This is for you. Let all who are under a yoke as bond servants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better, since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Now, this section on false teaching. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has unhealthy craving for controversy and quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, email suspicion, evil suspicions. <laughs> that was truly a slip of the tongue, I promise. It really was. And constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of truth. Imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. But as for you, but as for you, O church, fear not, little flock, as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, fight the good fight of faith. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the king of kings and lord of lords, lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be the honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Now, for the rich, as for the rich in this age, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. But on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid irreverent babble, contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So three things, the love of money, contentment, and a theology of giving. Let's start with the love of money. This is a fun one. I enjoy it because I get to, um, you know, upset a few traditional teachings And the one I want to go after is this. I'll just jump to the bottom line and then I'll explain it as best I can. If you've ever heard a preacher say something like, look, the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. All evil comes from the love of money. They're wrong. That's not what the Bible says. Uh, What the Bible says is actually this. Um, Let's. Uh Leah, if you can jump to the Greek one where it says starts with root. Here's a slide of the original language. I know you can't see the bottom. Don't worry about it. I don't usually go with a lot of Greek up here because you don't have to know Greek to understand the Bible. But I'll show you how this plays out in the translations in just a second. It says literally, if I were translating this direct just right from the Greek, I would say root for all kinds of the evil is the philo or philo or love money, the philo money. So root for all kinds or all kinds of the evil is the philo money. Now, that's really cool, Pastor Jeremy. Why'd you show us that? Well, let me back it up just a little bit. Let's show everyone the 1873 version of the authorized version or the King James. It says this, for the love of money is the root of Oops, sorry. We're going to jump back to... um, If we have the 1873 version. Um, The 1873 version. Oops. Back just a touch, Leah. You're doing great. There we go. 1873 version says, For the love of money is the root of all evil. Okay? So... If you're just looking at that authorized version from the KJV, which started in 1611 and was passed down through that. And you're a KJV only type person. If this is all you look at and you don't look at the Greek, what you're going to think is that if you love money, that all other sins that are out there come from the love of money. But what happens is in the original language, it does not have the article the it doesn't start with a the, it actually just starts with root. So you can say the root or a root, and either is okay. And what we find is, there was a slide up there just a second ago that shows a bunch of other translations, the H. Holman Christian Standard Bible, the New American Standard Bible, the New International Version, goes on and on. Even the New King James parts paths from um, the previous King James versions And what it shows us is this, is for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. So in other words, what I think is going on here is, you can fall in love with money, and to an extent, it makes total sense. I mean, we live in a world that is driven by money. It's our medium of exchange, and as a result, if I need food, I need money. If I need clothing, I need money. If I need shelter, I need money. All these things don't come unless I exchange something for them. The way we do that is through currency. Now, in and of itself, currency isn't evil. Like, for example, gold, it's a metal. Stainless steel, it's a metal. You know, iron, it's a metal. It's just a hard thing. It is amoral, or it has no moral to it. But what happens is, is if... Because of what it can get, people fall in love with it. Then you replace the most important thing in your life, the love of God, with the love of something else. And as a result, that becomes an idol. And that's the root of your issues because you no longer love God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all your mind. And that's the big one. That's the great commandment. That's where we're supposed to focus. Not on the love of money, but on the love of Jesus. You give for the love of God Literally I can say that Give for the love of God Yes Because we don't give for the love of money The first and most important thing in your life Is the love of God And that's why you don't want to replace it With the love of money And so rightly so Most preachers get this right They're saying oh It's not money itself that's evil It's the love of money that's evil That's correct But what is missed in the next part is if you only stick to the 1873 version, which some people do because it's easy to memorize and it's stuck in everyone's head, then you say the love of money is the root of all evil. But if you look at the modern translations, for example, the ESV, it says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. In other words... The love of money isn't the base for every other evil out there, but it is a type of sin that generates other types of sins, like selfishness. Selfishness is a root of all kinds of evils, too. Pride is a root of all kinds of evils as well. There are lots of different roots for bad fruit to grow, But there is only one root for good fruit. And his name is Christ. And that's why you can't be in love with anything else. The problem is not the thing. The problem is the love of it. And so when we look at this 1 Timothy 6.10. Don't think. Oh I'm good. I don't love money. Therefore there's no evil in my life. No you could love something else. And that something else, baseball cards or your hobbies or friends or whatever could actually be a root of evil in your life. You love being right and you become prideful. The most important thing is the love of Christ. And that's, that's the thing here. And I, I think Paul knows that and I think Timothy knows that. And I think Paul's just reminding him at the end, that's like, he's like, oh, man of God, Timothy, uh, the- uh, like theology, Timothy, theos, oh, God, fear, oh, God, honor. Timothy, don't forget who you are. The most important thing is this be who you are, oh, man of God, fight, hang in there. Love him more than anything else, despite all the pressures and everything else that's coming into your life. Push him out. Focus on him. Do not let the love of anything else take over. Timothy, God-fearer, lover of God. Love God, not money. That's the first point. I want you to hang your hats on that. That's what it means. Money itself, it's not evil. It's just like paper or metal, okay? But what you love really matters. Don't love the wrong thing. Love the right one. Number one, the love of money. Number two, commitment, contentment, contentment. Number one was, the first one we looked at was the love of money. Secondly, contentment. Um, That is found in verse six. It says, godliness with contentment is great gain. Then in verse seven, it says, for we brought nothing into the world, we take nothing out. Verse eight says, if we have food and clothing, with these we'll be content. Here's another way people really mess this up. And why we struggle and why our emotions go up and down all the time. Because what happens is, we live in the United States of America. It's a good place to be, but we don't have to go very far to see someone who has more than us. All of a sudden we're not content because we're like, man, shoot, oh, they got that. Why not me? Well, I could have, well, I, huh? Why are they, what happened there? And our contentment goes, and our happiness, and our joy, but then, we go on a mission trip, and this is great. I want you to go on a short-term mission trip, I really do. But this is almost what always happens: you go there, and like, wow, these people are so happy. How can they be happy? So, so let, wow, I should really be happy because I have a lot more than them. All of a sudden, we feel happy for a little bit because we just saw someone who had less than us, and we wobble back and forth based on this arbitrary measure of the people who surround us. But the reality is, the Bible says it has nothing to do with that. Absolutely nothing to do with whether you have more than so-and-so, therefore you should be content, or you have less than somebody else, so you should feel bad. Nope. doesn't have anything to do with that. The message of the mission trip isn't, wow, I have a lot more than them, I should be happy. That's not it. Here is what makes you happy. Here is your joy. Here is where your contentment comes from. It's the same thing, here's a hint, that you're supposed to love. Are you ready? Hebrews 13, 5. Here's that love of money again. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Why? Why should I do that? What's the motivation? Is it because I have more than someone over in Africa? No. The motivation is for contentment. Here, the foundation for contentment. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. There is your contentment right there. Who is with you always that will never leave you no matter what? There is no one else in the world that that can be said of. It is only Christ. It's a big deal when Jesus says believe in me. He means it. You believe in anybody else and they will let you down. Believe in him. Here is the secret of contentment. And it is not that I have more or less than the next guy. It is that I have Jesus. If you have Jesus and nothing else, then you have everything. Be content with what you have for he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Let me bring this down a bit. Okay, regardless of where you're at, whether you've been betrayed, abandoned, whether you're single, whether you're a child, whether you're married, a grandparent, whether you're single, engaged, whatever, there's probably at least one relationship in your life that you really value. Somebody you love more than anyone else, and you wouldn't trade that relationship for the world. I think I saw a head turn over there good job. It's Mother's Day. Guys, that was a softball over home plate. You just didn't get it. Let's try this again. You ready, gentlemen? And let me show you what you're supposed to do, okay? If there's someone sitting next to you. If there's not, it's okay. You can pray for them. If there's someone sitting next to you that you feel is really great, here's what you're supposed to do. All right, just try it. Oh, wrong way, other way. All right, here we go. Let's try that again. All right, so there is a relationship in your life that you would not trade for the whole world. All right, well done. Happy Mother's Day. Good job. Okay, so here's what I'm trying to say. We're having fun with it. We're enjoying it. You know, happy Mother's Day. But here's the thing. Mother or not, there's probably something in your life that you're like, I would not exchange that for a million dollars. In fact, if that person was sick, I would break the bank if that's what it meant to save their life. I would give anything for my little girl, my little boy, my husband, my wife, my daughter, my friend, my fiance, my whoever. I would break the bank. I don't care. If I went into debt for the rest of my life and was constantly paying back the interest, I would do it to save them. Is there somebody in your life like that? It's non, it's not even a thought. You would do it. That's what we're talking about right here with contentment and your relationship with Jesus because you love him so much that you would give up anything in order to have him it just doesn't matter because that value that treasure that enjoyment that glory in your life is so great that you look at that and you're like nothing else compares no question If he calls me to give that up on his behalf, by all means, I eagerly lay it up. That's why New Testament giving is so much different than Old Testament giving. I'll get into that in just a minute. But this sets that up. But let me show you. Here's a point. Here's another verse. I'm having so much fun with this. Here's another verse that people just destroy. They totally take it out of context. Philippians 4.13. Does anybody know what that says? Raise your hand if you know that one. Oh, it's up there already. Just pretend. (laughs) I know that one. Not that I am speaking of being in need for... Oh, let's go to verse 13. Let's go to verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? Amen. Well, that's what that Christian football player wrote underneath his eyes. 413. (laughs) That's what the guy did when he scored the touchdown. He spiked the ball and pointed to heaven. Woohoo! 413. <laughs> That's what the runner did when they crossed the finish line. 413. That's what the champion did on top of the podium. 413, baby. Yeah. Oh, wait. Is that what Paul said? Let's back it up to verse 11. Not that I am speaking of need, for I have learned in whatever situation i'm in top of the podium bottom of the pit top of the world beaten bit by snakes and thrown in jail i am to be content verse 12 i know how to be brought low oh and how to abound in any in every circumstance i've learned the secret of facing plenty which is cool and hunger Which is not. Abundance. Which is cool. And need. Which is not. I can do all things through Christ. Who strengthens me. That verse is not. For the prosperity gospel preachers. That's for the sufferers. People who need. People who lack. People who hurt. I can do that through Christ. Who strengthens me. There's the victory. Even in our lowest moments, I've been brought low. I know how to be brought low. Amen. Even in those low moments that we've all been brought to at some point in our life, we can do it through Christ. You see, here's the point. The point here is this sermon, this text, it's not about comparing yourself to somebody else and saying, "Oh, I don't have as much as they do. I guess I shouldn't be content." Or no, I got more than them, so I should be content. Ha-ha. Uh-uh. It's about saying, I have Jesus. So wherever I am, I can be content. High, good for you. God bless you. We're glad you're rich. Praise the Lord. There's nothing sinful about that. Low, bless God. Praise the Lord. You will be rewarded too. It doesn't matter. If you have Jesus, you have everything. Now, well, that sounds kind of, you know, esoteric, Pastor Jeremy. I got to eat. Well, sure you do. That's why in this thing he talks about with food and clothing. He's referring to the basic essentials of humanity. This is not destitute poverty. He recognizes that we're flesh and we have to eat and we have to sleep and we have to breathe. You know, that's things we do. The apostle is not ignorant of that. And he includes that in here. If there's somebody who's hungry, feed them. If there's somebody who needs clothes, give them clothes. Don't give them a Bible verse. Give them some clothes. But once you've got those basic things taken care of, and you've got Jesus, you're all set. And that's the thing about contentment. It's, it's about the relationship. If you set it in the context of Oh, this is like if my loved one got sick. I would do anything for them. I would give up everything. That's how you're supposed to feel about Jesus. This is my loved one. And for him, I would do or give up anything. That's contentment. Number one, the love of money should be the love of Jesus. Number two, contentment should not be on my relative wealth, but on my infinite riches that I have in Christ and number three then what falls out of that is a theology of giving I got one more wreck it Ralph thing to do today and then I'll be done and here it is if you've been in church you've probably heard the word tithe if you haven't it's okay you're not missing much Um, the word tithe is thrown around a lot and basically it's referred to as you're under obligation to give 10% of your income to God And then when you hear that preached, you need to ask that preacher, well, are we talking 10% pre-tax or after-tax? And then you can hem and haw about that. And say, okay, now show me in the Bible where that comes from. And then they'll point to the Old Testament and they'll say the tithe. And then you need to say to them, well, which one? Well, there are three, actually. Maybe even more. Some have place it between three and five. So let's just say three because I can do math like that. That's 30%, not 10 well, okay, do away with the law. Let's go pre-law and go to Abraham and Melchizedek. You know what Abraham did? He took 10% of everything he had, so his net worth. Okay, this is not his weekly paycheck. He looked at everything he had, sheep, other livestock, everything, and gave a one-time gift of 10%. So what are we talking about here When we evangelicals or we people preach a tithe, what is that? Well, in my view, a good theology of giving says that in the New Testament, to preach a tithe is inconsistent with the New Covenant. The New Testament giving is actually, in fact, something different, radically different. In fact, it's more. In the New Testament, what is praised is not 10%. But instead, when the widow gives everything. In the New Testament, the picture of giving is Jesus on the cross. You see, if we land on 10%, what we do is we become legalist. We either become prideful or we feel guilty. We're prideful because we're like, hey, yeah, man, I hit 10%. I'm doing pretty good. Or we're guilty because we're like, oh, not 10%. Not a good Christian as a guy who is. No, none of it. Jesus has completed the law. That is not for you. And so there's a good chance that there's some people in this congregation that 1% is okay. You're struggling. You got debt. Get your priorities in line. Get rid of the debt and enable yourself to give more at some point in time. There's other people in here that 10% is way too little. You maybe should be given 50%. Why do I say that? Well, because here's the thing if you look at new testament giving and you look at jesus what it's talking about is not a specific number but a big principle and that principle is generous sacrificial disciplined committed all in 110 percent exactly right what do i mean by that i told you i was coming back to that here we are of you and 10% of whatever else. All of you. Jesus doesn't want half. He doesn't want part. He wants whole. Every aspect of your life, your love, your emotions, your energy, your thoughts, your conscious desire should all be for him. There's no like, I gave 10%. I'm good. No. How generous of me is it? If my wife makes cookies. And my kids are looking at my cookie like, oh, dad, that looks so good. And I cut off this little tiny sliver. Here's your 10%. Enjoy your tithes, son. Aren't I generous? Nowhere close. In fact, I don't agree with everything that Andy Stanley says. I'm not affirming all theology of all pastors everywhere, but he makes some really good points. And here's one he says, when it comes to giving, he says, okay, you want to talk about tithes? You make a dollar. And you give God 10 cents. Do you call that generous? You give him 10 cents. No, what's generous? You make a dollar and you give him a dollar. You get a cookie and you don't slice a little tiny slice and give it to him. You say, no, actually, here you go. You have the whole cookie. That's called generous. That's called sacrificial That's what New Testament giving looks like. It's not a sliver. It's the whole kit and caboodle. You say, I would give anything for this relationship. I love this person so much. I'm not going to dedicate a portion or a percentage of my life. I'm giving him everything. And whatever he asks, I'm willing to give. Now, I know that's kind of high and that's big. So listen, I'm not against 10%. It's a nice, easy number. It helps me to do the math, and it's a great place to start. And if you're there and you can do 10, by all means, do 10%. That's a good thing. I'm not preaching against that. I just want to make it clear that in the New Testament, I have never seen a verse in the New Testament that says you must give 10%. Instead, read through the book of Acts, and you'll see them giving up everything. It's just a different picture. So, what am I saying? What's a good theology of giving Theology of giving should fall out of those others. Do you love money or do you love God? Your love of God should be higher than your love of money. Are you basing your contentment on what you have relative to others? Or are you basing your contentment on what you have in Christ? Who you have? Christ. If that is the case, if you love him most and you have everything in him, then I think what God wants is 110%. Everything and then some. I know that's a hard word and it's hard for us to get there. And we have obligations and responsibilities. And I'm honestly not asking you to do anything dumb. I just want you to understand that real giving, New Testament giving is self-disciplined, sacrificial, and truly generous. It's not a legalistic thing where we measure in terms of percentages, but it's a love response to this awesome Savior who gave everything for us. If you're at a spot where you can only give 1%, great. If you're at a spot where you can give 99%, give it wherever you're at. God loves you and he affirms you. And what you have in him makes you rich. Love him, be content in him, and let everything else flow from that. Father, we thank you and praise you. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for his sacrifice. We thank you for what he gave for us. Lord, I confess and I admit that often I feel guilty of not giving enough. To think about me and my needs or wants or desires and don't always think first about you. I pray, Lord, as we journey together as a church that wants to grow one step closer to Jesus, that we would. We take one step closer to him and one step further from our stuff. Help us, Lord, free us. Free us from the entanglements that so easily beset us and cause us to follow after him with all of our heart all of our soul, and all of our mind. In Jesus' name we pray. Lord, we love you, God. Amen. Amen.